I've heard with my own ears a father tell his son. This broke my heart, and I, still it's, it's in my mind. Uh, it didn't say it to me, but I heard a father say to his son. He says, and, and he didn't say it this nice, but he said, uh, he said, son, he said that dog excrement or that canine excrement out in the yard is more valuable to me than you are. And he didn't say it that fancy, I'm telling you that. But I heard him say that over and over to his son. And I know that son today, and this was many, many years ago, and that son has never broke through into full joy in life. That son lives under a cloud. He lives under doubt. He lives under condemnation. His father's already passed and gone, but those words still haunt him and tell him when a promotion comes, he says, I can't. He told me this. He says, Pastor, I can't put in for, for the promotion. I know how to do the job better than the guys putting in ahead of me. He said, but I can't do it. I said, why, why won't you do it? He said, those words come back to me. And he says, I'm so afraid that if I, I get the promotion that I'll fail and I'll fail the team and I'll fail the company. So I always stay in the background. I always stay under uh, my, my, what I could really do, my qualification. And I, and I try to, I don't have him here to speak into, I encourage him to tune in and listen, but he needs to hear what God would say to him. He had an authority of a father speak damnation over him and condemnation over him and, and belittling over him. But what he needs to hear is the encouraging words of a heavenly father who has greater authority that would speak words of life to him. So let me tell you what, I don't know what you've been told by some authority or some relationship. I do know that the enemy will find every weakness that he can to everybody closest to you he can find to speak negative things over you. And I know that's happening every day and every week and every month. So when I get up here and I'm called to preach the gospel, which is the good news, as long as I'm preaching the good news of God's love and God's power and God's provision and God's blessing, let me tell you what, I'm right in fulfillment the assignment that God has for my life. I'm not here to damn you. I'm here to tell you Satan has been damned. And that liar, you don't need to listen to him anymore. You need to listen to the truth and let it set you free to rise up and soar to be who God's called you to be. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to prosper in all things is what I find in the Scripture. And we're going to study that together tonight. So I'm going to be your spiritual adrenaline. I'm going to help you get over the hump. We're ending November. We're going into December. We're closing out 2016 and going into 2017. And we're going to go out with a bang. We're going to go out in a blast. We're going to go out higher than we came in this year. God told us in the beginning of this year that this was a year of elevation and a year of promotion. You say, I hadn't seen mine yet. The year's not over yet. Do you hear what I'm telling you? we got a whole month ahead of us. You just need to get the Word of God encouraged that the light and the, and the uh, direction of God before you and start pursuing what he says rather than what man has said over you. How about turn to Psalms 35. Psalms 35, we're going to be looking at two script, uh, verses of Scripture out of that psalm, and we're going to be looking at uh, what I would entail. You've got a choice between failure and success, and if you want to know what, what God wants you to choose, he does not want you to choose failure. Let me tell you what, if there's anything in your life trying to speak failure to you, it is not from God. God does not want you to fail. He wants you to succeed. And we see that right here in verses 27 and 28. Let them shout for joy and be glad. 
let there be some spiritual adrenaline in us right now that we don't become a cold church that sits back and, and just hums a little, that we still got some shout in us. Amen. There's power in shout. Do you know I took karate for many years and I went up the ranks and the belts and so forth and there's things that you learned. You learned how to block because if you could block properly, the enemy could wear himself out trying to hit you and you just keep blocking and, uh, and then it opens up for you to take a counter punch. But when uh, you do so, you would kia and you would, you would make this loud sound, kia, and just in case... Uh, several reasons that he, you were to take a punch that your, your, your breath is going out so it's not going to be as effective on you. And also, it would frighten the enemy. It would frighten the enemy. And I tell you what, I believe sometimes the devil rides our back because he's not hearing anything from us. He don't know what camp we belong to. He don't know if we're Christian or non-Christian. He don't know if we're spirit-filled or not spirit-filled. He don't know that we believe in the authority that we have to, uh, to trample underfoot him or not because we're saying nothing. So God says, let them shout for joy and be glad. There's a shout, let me tell you what, put the enemy to flight. Put the, put the enemy to flight. So let us shout for joy. He didn't say, I'm shouting because I have joy. I'm shouting for joy and, and, and to be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. So I want to encourage you to look at that phrase right now. Let the Lord be magnified. Stop magnifying your spouse because you're seeing his or her faults. Stop magnifying your children because you're seeing their faults. Stop magnifying your parents and your friends because, yes, we all have warts and we all have moles and we all have imperfections. And if you magnify it, let me tell you what, you're going to see the negative and it's going to look larger than what it really is. What he tells you to put the magnifying glass on is on the Lord. You can look at the Lord. He's perfect. He is without sin. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. And the more and the closer you get to any aspect of God, it's good and it's powerful and it's awesome and it's favor towards you. So, oh, magnify the Lord. Say, let the Lord be magnified. And he said, the reason you should get your focus on God, look here. He says, because he takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Did you know that? God not only wants you to prosper, He takes pleasure. He, it blesses His heart. It brings a smile upon His face when you prosper. Who has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant? And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Now that word there, prosperity, for He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. If you're going to he Hebrew lexicon or the Hebrew Bible, you will find that word is shalom. Now you know what shalom means, don't you? It's translated here prosperity, but shalom literally means where there's nothing broken and there's nothing missing where you are healthy, where you are whole, where you are safe, where you are well, where you are prospered, where you are at peace. Nothing broken and nothing missing. That's what God takes pleasure in. That tells me that's what God wants for you. Right now, that's what God wants for you. God wants it to be well with your soul. God wants it to be well with your body. God wants it to be well in your mind. God wants you to have peace. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be healthy. You need to tell that body, you better line up with the will of God. 
because God wants you to be healthy. Somebody needs to keep telling you that because the gravity of the force of Satan is always trying to pull us down and tell us we deserve our pain, we've earned our pain, we've neglected our bodies and that's why we have our pain, we've lost our age and, or we've gained our age and that's why we have our pain and always trying to get us to compromise and just accept any old thing he wants to put on us. But God says, no, I want you to know the devil's trying to tear you down, I'm trying to build you up. The devil's trying to take you out and I'm trying to take you over. Hallelujah. So he says here that I, I, I take pleasure in the shalom of my servant. Now there's a key word servant, so we need to stay in relationship with him. That's how we're saved, becoming a servant of God. Did you know that? It says that everyone who will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, they shall be saved. So confessing his lordship over your life means I surrender to him. I am a servant of God. I am a servant of God. Ask yourself tonight, am I truly a servant of God or am I just playing this religious thing uh, for its uh, nominal effect? Well, let me tell you what. Let's move be beyond the nominal effect and let's get the real deal. Let's get the real deal. Surrender your heart to Jesus. Surrender your life to God. Say, God, I'm here to serve you. When I do my business, I do my business as unto you. Whatever I put my hands to, I do it as unto you. My family, Lord God, I dedicate them to you. I serve them in whatever capacity I have in my family as unto you. We need to be a servant of God. So ask yourself, am I truly a servant of God? Or am I just playing the game? Let me tell you what, God knows the difference. And guess what? Satan knows the difference as well. So God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. He says that blesses his heart. He delights in seeing his children succeed. And what good parent wouldn't? Now, the parent that I shared with you earlier and what he said over his son, that, that was a parent that had a weakness and a brokenness, and Satan was using that to bring the voice of hell into that household. That was, that was not a good parent. A good parent wants to see their children succeed. A good parent wants to see their children healthy. A good parent wants to see their children blessed. Do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Am I not telling the truth? Well, our God is a good, good father. Hallelujah. He's a good, good parent. Praise God. You know, Michael Jordan, he was the poster child for success in basketball. And I believe he led the Chicago Bulls to be six-time champions. And uh, he, but you, you know what? When you look at some of the statistics, and I may not have them completely right, but they're close, he missed over 9,000 shots. Nine, I've never bounced the ball 9,000 times, I don't believe. He missed over 9,000 shots in his career and lost over 300 games. 26 times he took the game-winning shot. Everybody said, oh, Michael Jordan's doing it. We're going to win, and he missed, and they lost the game. But with all of those failures, we still call him a success, right? And his success is attributed to uh, him learning from his mistakes. And he got better, and he got better, and he got better. And he led his team to victory, not every time he stepped on the court, but let me tell you what, he began to lead them to more and more and more till it became most of the time he led them to victory. And the reason being is because he promoted the practices that lead to success. And he discontinued the practices that led to failure. 
And I want us tonight to examine some areas of our life and see, it, see some areas that lead to success and see whether or not we're uh, embracing those and promoting those and then identify some areas that may be leading to some failure in our life and that we will identify those and we will learn from them and stop practicing those things that lead to failure. Because remember, failure is not final. Somebody needs to say that. Failure is not final. If we don't abandon the practices that, we, uh, that promote failure, over time we're going to sense more and more failure. But here tonight I encourage you to identify those practices, stop doing them, and identify the practices that lead to success and make sure you're doing them. So I want us to look at some success killers, is what I'm calling them, success killers that they're, they're rooted in a person's inability to recognize and stop mistakes that lead to failure. So I'm going to help you identify seven success killers, and if you can identify these in your life, then you can stop practicing them, and you can start seeing the success that God wants for you. The first one I want to talk about is failing to listen, failing to listen. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, he who can no longer listen to his brother will soon no longer be listening to God either. Wow. If you get a hard head and you know everything and you stop listening to your brother, more than likely you're going to eventually stop listening to God as well. Jesus teaches us after the parable of the uh, farmer and the sower and the seeds. He said you must understand this parable if you're going to understand how the kingdom of God works, if you're going to understand how all of it. And he talks about the sower and the seeds and the soil. And after that, he, he kind of has a culmination. And here's what he says in Luke 8 and 8. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that ties right into what the prophet Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 12 and 2 where he said the Son of Man will dwell in the midst of rebellious house. There will be a rebellious house who has ears to hear, but they refuse to hear. They have ears to hear, but they refuse to hear. Let me tell you, when you fail to listen to people in your life, the results are going to cause a de detachment that's going to take place. And it's going to cause improper vision in your life, which is going to lead to indifference and even hostility in your relationships. God gave you two ears and one mouth. And I believe he's trying to make a point here that we need to listen twice as much as we speak. Measure your day. Take a few moments. Do a, take take a, a little analysis test. Have you listened more than you have spoken, or have you spoken more than you have listened? Now, I know our circumstances are different. You may be in retail, and you had to just listen to people all day long. That you say, how can I help you? And you just had to do that. But I mean in conversation and in things of life, have you been one that says, I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear what's in your heart, and I want to hear I make and learn from you. One of the, I believe, best things I did when I became a Christian is I made a commitment to God. I was on the altar. I always, I don't know why I sit over here but as well, but I always would come down to wherever church I was in. I would always come to the altar about this area over here. And nothing special about it. It's just what I did in habit. And I remember at the altar one uh, service, I made a commitment to God as a teenager. And I said to God, God, I want you to teach me 
And I want you to bring teachers into my life to teach me. I will submit to the teachers. And God, I just make a promise to you, I'm always going to be a student. I'm going to always be a student. And I believe that was wisdom that the Holy Spirit was giving me to make that commitment because the person who thinks they know it all is not a favorable person that you want to be around. Amen? And I believe if we, the children of God, don't like being around a know-it-all, I don't think God likes being around a know-it-all. I want to always be a student saying here on this Wednesday evening, God, I'm here. You can teach me something. Something that maybe I've heard before, but I never put it into practice. Maybe I put it into practice, but I fell out of practice, and I need to reinstitute that in my life. That we would always have ears to hear, God, teach me. God, speak to me as I open the Word every day. And I've shared this with you numerous times. I take out my contract with the Lord. And it's that blank sheet of paper with my signature on it. And I say, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you, wherever you want me to go, and however you want me to do it, I'm, I'm here to do it. Because I, my agenda, and I have an agenda, but my agenda is subject to His agenda. I have an agenda. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to, my hair's standing all up. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to shave. I'm going to, I'm going to start my day. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to study His Word, and I'm going to go forward. I have an agenda to get going, but in my agenda, it's always subject to His agenda. So I say, Lord, I want to hear what you're saying. I want to do what you command me to do. And that's a beautiful way that you should live your life. He will guide you into success. I just shared with you from the Psalms. He takes good pleasure. It blesses his heart for you to succeed. So if you listen to him, guess what path he's going to lead you down? The path of success, of shalom, because that's who he is. Hallelujah. So the first success, success killer is when we fail to listen. And that is a sure sign that you're going down. The second one is failing to communicate a clear vision. Jack Welch, he was the chairman of General Electric, he said, without question, communicating the vision has been and is continuing to be by far the toughest job we face. So I encourage you, don't take a shortcut and try to microwave your vision. You see some, some, someone that's maybe at a place that you want to be, and, and, and in your mind, you don't see what it took for them to get there. You don't see the diligence that it took, and you just immediately want to be there or even uh, further along, and that's a microwave vision. I'm telling you, God has a path for you, and every step upward in that path is necessary. It is there to build the strength. It is there to, to increase the endurance so that you can stand under the great vision that He has for your life. And that path is part of the vision. The steps that we're taking is part of the vision. So let's not go for a microwave vision, but a crockpot vision, if I could say it that way. So we need to learn to communicate our vision fully and completely and let it be full of flavor and unmistakably uh, 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 that you can identify what it is. It's not just some, some thing that you're doing. I don't know. I'm just here to take up space. No, you're here with a purpose. You're here with a destiny. God has a plan for your life. You need to talk to Him. You need to listen to Him. And you need to write the vision down. Now, Pastor Rodique and I, we sit down most every morning, if time allows, and we sit down and we have our 
meeting, our around the table conference meeting and uh, breakfast, and we have our notepads there, and we're always fine tuning the vision. We're, we're we're together. We're one. So what God's showing me, He's showing her, and what God is showing her, He's showing me. So we're fine tuning. We're sharpening our knives for the day. We know we've got some things we've got to cut through and some things that we've got to do, and, and we're going to sharpen our knives because we, didn't, we don't see the complete fullness of the vision in every detail, so we're always fine-tuning it, always fine-tuning it. We were talking just this morning, and we said, oh, what a responsibility. You remember we sat here uh, some time back, and, and God told us that prepare that I'm bringing a, a Christian business to you that is the largest of its kind in the world. And, and he told us that. And we're sitting there and we're like, wow. So we write, this down, we write this down and we're like, God, prepare us. God, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Lord God, that you can do this in. And this morning we were rejoicing in the fact that the, the deal is done and, and the world's largest Christian yellow page and online directory and mobile app in the world is now housed right here in this ministry. And it's like, God, what you said way back then, there's been a lot of preparation and there's been a lot of stuff that's had to take place to bring us to here, but we're sitting around that same table talking about what God is now doing. And, and we believe that to be an extension of this house as, as that business and that ministry and that uh, marketplace ministry has helped build this house. It's going to continue to help take us into the future that God has for us. What an amazing, amazing uh, opportunity to be a part of such a beautiful thing. But it didn't just happen overnight. And there today was just reminded that this is something that we've been working on and God's been working on us for years, years. Some people need to hear that, years. It's not a microwave uh, a fulfillment. It, it's a crock pot. And guess what? It's still cooking. There's a lot of work yet to be done, but we know that God is in it. And if God be for you, who can be against you? The same is true for your life. See, God is no respecter of persons. He has a calling. He has a ministry. He has vision. He has marketplace outreach for you. He wants to take you through your path, step by step, higher and higher. He wants to build you. He wants to entrust more in you. And it all is leading towards His success. God takes pleasure in the success of His servant. So part of that is you must see the vision that God wants you to succeed, that God wants you to come up out of where you're at. You're like, well, where I'm at, there, there ain't nothing wrong with it. It's not about that. It's about going into what God has for you. And if God has a higher level he wants to take you into, trust him and move in that direction and listen to him to help you write that vision down. You know, Habakkuk 2 and 2 and verse uh, 2 and 3, it says, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. That's where that sermon diligence comes in. you got to wait for it. It may tarry. It may not happen overnight. But tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. Did God not say that? 
That is straight out of his word. He says, if you will wait for it, if you'll stay on task, it will surely come. That thing you've been waiting for, that thing you've been praying for, that thing you've been hoping for, that thing you've been exercising faith for, I'm here to tell you from God's word, it will surely come to pass. Somebody say, I receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So here's seven success killers. One, failing to listen. Two, failing to communicate a clear vision. The third one is failing to trust the people that God places in your life. Now let me tell you how God works. The way I see God working throughout His Word and throughout my life is He places people in our lives. He speaks to us through people. He ministers to us through people. He teaches us through people. We cannot discount people. Now, being that we too are people, then He will do the same through us to others. So we must, in order to be one that can help others, we've got to also receive the help of God from others too. So failing to trust the people God places in your life, let me tell you what, is, is a very dangerous place to be. So this tells me the enemy's going to try his best to, 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 to send his arsenal against our relationships and cause us to not trust anyone. Because if we can get to the place we don't trust anyone, Satan just kind of take back and say, well, I can go work somewhere else because they're not going any further. They're not going any further. God's going to try to use people, but they won't trust them, so they're not going any further. So Satan, because Satan is not, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, and he's not omnipotent. He's not everywhere at all times. He's not, he's not all-powerful, and he's not all-knowing. He's got many, many demons that work for him. Yes, he does. But let me tell you what. Is if he can get you locked in a place where you're not going any further, and he knows you're going to eventually get discouraged and throw in the towel, then he can move on and, and, and get somebody else. So what he'll do is very early in our age, he tries to get a key relationships to betray us and to hurt us and to break our heart so that we now don't trust people. So now that God is trying to teach us and disciple us and minister to us through people, we don't trust people, so we're not going to receive the discipleship of God through these people. And so Satan says, I don't need to worry with them anymore because they're not going any further. Eventually they'll get discouraged because they're not being discipled, and they're just going to throw in the towel. Former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Simpson said, the chief lesson I have learned is that the only way you can make a man trustworthy is by trusting him. And the surest way to make him untrustworthy is to distrust him and show your distrust. See, if you keep people at a distance, I guarantee you they'll never hurt you. Did you get that? If you keep people at a distance, you are guaranteed they will never hurt you but they'll, ne they'll neither be able to help you. And that's the trick Satan comes in. Remember that people are the greatest asset that, will, that, that God has given us in our lives in the physical, in the physical, and it takes trust for us to, to share one with another and help one another. Ecclesiastes 4 and 12 says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Satan does not want you walking in strength. He wants you walking as that lone uh, gazelle or, or, or little deer or whatever. So the tiger says or the hyena says or the lion says, ah, that's an easy prey. 
He's out here all alone. I can come and take him. Luke 10 and 1, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two, two by two, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So we see the importance of people in our life. Now, Pastor Radika, we're pushing her. We need everybody push towards her. Help me. Just, just trust me. See if you trust me. Push towards her. She's got a book that's ready to ready like this to go to print. So we need to push her. She's supposed to be supposed to have it done by the end of the year. So you only got one month, 31 days left. And we got Christmas in it. Push her, Brother Harry. Yeah. The manuscript is 99.9%, everything's ready, and it's healing the broken heart. And let me tell you why. This is information that people need to hear because it goes right along with this. Satan has done so much through relationships to break our hearts. So now we have a hard time trusting others because we have a broken heart. Before we're able to trust someone else, for God to use them fully into our lives, we've got to have healing for our broken heart. And guess what? God provides that as well. I can promise you that. So failing to trust people that God places in your life, and I do underline God places in your life because the devil's going to try to place people in your life too. So you've got to pray for the wisdom to know, is this one from God or is this one from the devil? You can't take words and instruction from everybody that comes through your path. If so, I, I wouldn't be pastoring today. I was told you're not supposed to be the pastor of this church. This is probably 20 years ago. Uh, a little group got together and said, you're not supposed to be the pastor of this church. You're supposed to be an evangelist. You're supposed to be all over the world. You're supposed to be on television. You're supposed to be in the marketplace. You're supposed to be successful. This little old tiny place here, you're not supposed to be here. Leave. And I said, well, I hear what you're saying but I've got to listen to what God is saying. And I went to God and God said, I told you don't lock the doors here and I told you to endure and I told you to stand and I told you to watch my mighty hand and what I was going to do. And I said, well, I'm going to stick with what God is saying rather than what the little religious little crowd is saying. So you got to trust the people that God places in your life. And then the fourth success killer, uh, success killer is what I call playing politics. Playing politics. Now, I know coming uh, through this election se season, this is probably more a sensitive area than ever before, but can't you say politics stink? Come on now. now I'm just, I am just fed up, disgusted with, with politics and greed and all the things that take power plays that take place and the lies that are told in order to get position over people's lives. People who play politics are more concerned about positioning themselves to find a bigger and better position, and it's always about them. They are not looking to position themselves to try and build meaningful relationships, even at the cost of maybe their position. That's one thing I love about our mayor of Chesapeake here in Virginia. Uh, and I believe no one even ran against him. Neither party put a candidate up to run against him because they said, this gentleman is real. He cares about the citizens of this city. He cares about me. Well, it doesn't matter what my party affiliation is. It doesn't matter the color of my skin. It doesn't matter how old or young I am. It doesn't matter if I'm paying big taxes or little taxes. He cares about me. There's no politics in that. And so much so that he was like, I'm, not, I'm just not going to run. I'm not going to run. And we said, we said, Doc, you got to listen to us here. 
You've got to pray and see what God wants. This isn't your decision. You need to do what God wants you to do. And if God tells you to run another term, then you've got to run another term because you're living your life for Him, right? He says, yes, Pastor, I am. He says, well, we're, we're going to pray. And next thing we got the good news, he was going to run. Then we learned that no one wanted to go run against him. So it was not even an election, you might would say. It was just a, a, a free. But God, now that I love to see because God cares about leaders over our cities and our, our states and our nation and the nations of the world. But this thing about moving and maneuvering and lying and playing like I'm your friend just to get into position, to get ahead, and then I'll never speak to you again, and that play in politics, I tell you what, it happens in the church as well. Oh, we could sit here and want to throw rotten eggs towards D.C. or rotten eggs towards Richmond, Virginia. But let me tell you what, you better be careful that they're going to burst in your hand as well. Because if we're not careful, we get caught up in that same spirit in the church. And let me tell you what, you should rebuke that spirit. It is a demonic spirit that we will not allow Satan to come in here to cause us to think that we can step over this person or step over that person or speak negative of this person or try to outmaneuver and outposition that person. I believe if we all remain on our knees and committed as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a level playing field. There shouldn't be any higher offices. That's one thing. Uh, I think even this morning, Pastor Radica was telling me uh, about the Discover Embassy. And she says, I said, what are you finding uh, some of the, 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 the responses from our new people that are coming in and where they're coming from and what do they like about the church? And, and so I'm just asking these questions. She says, you know, the number one thing that I find that shocks most of them is when I share our heart. And she said, you know, our heart where we let everyone know that we are not here as pastors over you. We don't have armor bearers and we don't have, we don't have bodyguards and we don't have people carrying uh, everything and pulling up my socks if they fall down while I'm preaching or patting my head while I'm sweating. Or We don't have that because we want to communicate our heart. Our heart is that we are here to serve you. We're servants of God. We're here to serve you and let God use us to be an instrument of blessing to you. And she says, it's like they all look at me like, we've never heard this before. Can this be true? And, and I want to reemphasize it, that if we'll all take on a servant's mentality, it's not a title, it's not a position so that, that, that man would, would glow over and, and gloat over. It's, it's the position before him kneeling and saying, here am I, a servant, God. Use me in whatever capacity. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Do you see what I'm saying? We need to have that heart of service under the King, uh, under the king of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And whether you do it or not, I'm just going to clap and say, praise God. That's a good word. That's a good word. A kingdom advancer is marked by their desire to lead his life or her life and family for the prosperity of the body of Christ doing it God's way. And it's not about personal satisfaction and it's not about advancing their agenda and their name. It's about advancing the kingdom of God. Oh, let that be our goal. Let that be our individual and corporate goal that we are here to advance the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, uh, Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. It's God's kingdom. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. Can I say that louder? It's all about Him. He said, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 6 and 10, He said, pray, thy kingdom come 
Thy will be done. Isn't that what he said? So we're not here to build our kingdom. We're here to bring his kingdom in. We're not here to exercise our will. We're here to usher in the will of God. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Then the fifth way is a true success killer is that's failing to improve. Failing to improve. A wise statement has been made. Our business in life is not to get ahead of others, but to get ahead of ourselves. Oh, that we would embrace that. That I'm not here in competition and trying to get ahead of you. I'm trying to get ahead of me. I'm trying to get to the next level of what God has created me to do. To be who God has created me to be. See, a true kingdom advancer doesn't sit back and say, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You ever heard anybody say that? Everything's status quo. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. A true kingdom advancer says, if it ain't broke, how can we make it better? How can we make it better? How can we advance God's kingdom more? How can we bring more glory to Him? How can we bring more souls into the kingdom of God? How can we bring the message of healing to more people? How can we bring the message of deliverance to more people? Amen? See, often the greatest enemy of the best is something that's very good. And we never will go for the best because what we have is very good. We need to take strides to attain our best in every endeavor, in endeavor that God has for us because what we do, we're doing it as unto the Lord. We're not doing it to impress people. We do what we do as unto the Lord. Can you truly say that what you have put your hands to this week, you have given it your best as unto the Lord? Or do you do just enough to get by? I would challenge you to repent. I would challenge you to say, I have ears to hear. And I believe that God is speaking to me and God wants me to get from my better to the best because I'm doing it for Him. And He deserves the best, I would say. Philippians 3 and 12 says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that, which Christ, of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I want to press on. Come on, church, we've not attained. We've not already arrived. We've got area for improvement. You could look at somebody tonight and you could state with great boldness, you have areas that need improvement. And they could look at you and say the same, as I look unto myself and say the same. We do all have areas that we need improvement. So we must not ever say, I'm just going to live status quo. I'm just, this is very good. So I'm not going to achieve or, or, or reach for best because I, very good's okay. Let me tell you what. Very good is good. But when you're doing what you do and living as you do as unto the Lord, He deserves the best. He gave you His best. He gave you His only begotten Son, born of a virgin without sin, who would live for 33 and a half years without sinning so that He could take your penalty, so that He could take your curse, so that he could take your sickness, so that he could take your pain. He did that for you. He gave his best. I think we should live our lives saying, I'm going to give God my best. Amen. And then the sixth uh, success killer is failing to prioritize. Now, this is something that is fear-driven. We fail to prioritize, and many times it's fear-driven. American philosopher Eric Hoffer said, the feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. When we do not do, when we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We are the busiest people in the world. You ever met somebody that busy, 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 but the main thing is always neglected. 
Let me tell you what, we need to learn to prioritize. That's why, and I learned this, it's not that I'm that smart, but I was smart enough to be a student who was willing to listen. And I would go to pastors and I would say, as a young pastor, what are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the things that I should avoid? And they would say unto me, uh, well, you need to avoid uh, counseling uh, the opposite sex uh, by yourself. And I remember when I started this church, I have a policy till this day. I don't uh, uh, counsel the opposite sex. I don't have counseling sessions with the opposite sex without my wife being in there. When I was younger and I was single here for three years, I had my best friend come in from college, and I gave him a position with our children's ministry, and he was attending regent. But part of his job description, you have to make priority to meet with me when I have to uh, counsel the opposite sex. Now we have a beautiful boardroom upstairs and meeting room there, and it's all glass, all glass. And that's, I call my, you could call it the Billy Graham room. You remember Billy Graham, he said, I'll never get in the elevator with the opposite sex by myself because I'm not going to do anything, but if they say something, then that could ruin what God wanted to use the rest of my life for. So when you come off the elevator, when that's once installed, we got the elevator in the parking lot, but we got to get it into its cavity, and I pray that they'll get that done this week. But uh, you go out there and you'll see that. And, and, and there's just perfect transparency there uh, because I listened to what a pastor's told me. They told me. So another one they told me, they said, don't put your church family first over your, your physical family because your physical family will resent them. They will resent the church. They will end up resenting God. And I found as I interviewed so many PKs or preacher's kids who had rebelled and left the church, it was the common denominator. My dad would take care of their son, but he wouldn't take care of me. My dad would make sure they had a good Christmas and we starved and didn't have anything for Christmas. My dad would go and support them at a ball game, but never showed up at my ball game. And my dad would stay up all, uh, all the nights going out and running for people, but he wouldn't stay up when I wanted to talk about something that was struggling, I was struggling with. And uh, he, they, they just tell me, I, I hate the church. I hate, I hate it. And, you know, God did all this. And, um, and I would try to talk to them. about That's not what God did. Man's mistakes is not God. But I understood where they were coming from. So when we got married, I said, and I remember telling the church, I was single, and you guys called me 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, 7 in the morning, and I was always there to run and do that. I was changing people's hot water heaters while they were coming out of surgery uh, so that they'd come home and have hot water. I was dragging out wet carpet from the hot water heater that busted. I was fixing cars. Brother Frankie, you didn't hear that because I'm still dependent on you. And I was fixing cars, and, and I was doing all these things, and, and anything and everything. I said, look, I'm now a married man. And if there's an emergency, you let me know. But I'm just not here to build up all of your homes anymore. Uh, I was lonely, and I had a lot of time on my hand, and I was willing to do it. But I'm a married man now. I'm prioritizing my wife. And then the children came along. I'm prioritizing our children. And, and when you see, oh, wow, Pastor Tim has three uh, normal children, a preacher with normal children, I believe it's because of this right here. Because I refuse to fail to prioritize. And my children, I got my son's so eldest son, 19, 19 year olds. Oh, they leave the church when they go into college. Well, ours is a, a, a children's pastor of the first service and plays on the worship team. And I'm not bragging on anything but God because I believe if we'll do it God's way, then we got God's assistance. 
So I give God the glory for our children and what they're doing because he's assisting us because we chose to prioritize and do it his way. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says, For everything there is an appointed time and an appropriate time for every activity on earth. And I believe if God says that, then God will back it up in helping you prioritize what is the right time to do something and when something needs to wait. Do you hear what I'm saying? Ask him. He'll guide you and direct you. And then we've got the seventh success killer. I'm right on time here tonight. Well, there's miracles taking place here, okay? So here, failing to create a growth environment. Failing to create a growth environment. We must take every necessary step to ensure that we're being continually fed. Did you hear that? We're all growing, and just as, though, just as we make, take priority to make sure our family is fed, some of you give greater priority to making sure your pets are fed over your family. We won't call anybody out. Uh, but, but you understand what I'm saying. It's growing it needs food, it needs to grow, it needs its nourishment, and we must understand that we spiritually, personally, relationally, and corporately need that as well. Now I'm preaching to the choir. Here you're on a Wednesday night, you're out and you're doing just that. And I, I compliment you and I, I applaud what you're doing and thank you because you see the importance of it. But if you ever get to the place that you neglect your growth, then you become the lid of the growth of your family and the growth of your finances and the growth of your health and the growth of your business and the growth of your area of ministry. You become the lid. So when you see that, you say, well, then I need to keep growing so as a lid I can keep getting taller and bigger so that I can, with every influence I have under me, I can be benefit to that area of ministry, to my family, to my business, to my finances, to everyone under me as well, because the higher I go, the higher I can take them as well. So a man once said to his friend, I would give anything to know where I'm going to die. Would you like to know that? Would you like to know where you're going to die? Well, his friend replied, he said, uh, what good would that do you? And the first guy said, because then I'd do everything I could to avoid that place. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. The man understood the value of avoiding situations that would promote his demise. He says, you're going to die in the southern, uh, 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 furthest corner of the parking lot of Walmart on Battlefield Boulevard. I guarantee you this person would never go there. He would avoid that. And the same is true. With kingdom advancers, we need to learn to recognize and avoid the areas that will kill our success. God said, I take pleasure in the success of my servants. God says, it is my desire, my heart, my plan, my purpose. I want to see you living in perfect shalom. I want to see you living with everything in your life, not broken and not missing anything. That's God's desire but let me tell you what, we have some decisions to make in the path of life. And here are seven success killers failing to listen, failing to communicate a clear vision, failing to trust people that God puts into our life, play in politics, failing to improve, failing to prioritize, and failing to create a growth environment. Those are seven of many areas that we need to learn to avoid. 
And if we see them pop into our life, we need to immediately rebuke that and say, no, that is of the enemy. I resist the devil and the devil will flee and then you can move into what God has called you to do. Why am I teaching this? I'm your spiritual adrenaline tonight. I'm here to boost you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to prompt you. I'm here to push you. I'm here to let you know that God takes pleasure in your success. He wants you healed. He wants you delivered. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to be full of joy. He wants you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. Did you know that? He wants you to succeed in life. If you'll serve Him, that is His desire for you. So let's recognize these success killers. And if they're in our life, let's turn that boat around. Let's if it be, be the wise husband who's made the wrong turn and you know you're going the wrong way, but you got so much pride, you don't want to make a U-turn and you'll drive 70 miles out of the way to get back to where you're going just not to make a U-turn. Don't be him or don't be her. Be wise and say, you know what? If I'm traveling the wrong way, let me stop and let me turn this thing around and begin to go the other way. I think the Bible calls that repentance. I think that's what the Bible calls that repentance, where we with godly sorrow see that we're doing it wrong, something against Him, and that we ask God to forgive us and that God would give us His mercy and His grace and His strength and His wisdom and help us turn this thing around and begin to walk in His way. So if there are any success killers that you've identified, just go ahead and identify them. Repent and turn and let's go the other way amen would you stand with me please father god we just want to stand in your presence tonight lord we thank you for the word of instruction that comes from uh, your bible tonight lord god and by your spirit lord god we know you're here to build us up you're here to encourage us you're here to to uh, be lord god a, a voice of direction in our lives and i pray god each and every person under the sound of my voice would hear not my words Lord God, they would hear your words. They'd have an ear to hear, and then they would respond to your word. As you're standing here before the Lord, just ask him now, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to take out of this message? Just ask him. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to take out of this message? What do you want me to embrace? What do you want me to act upon? What do you want me to do? And then I pray, you would say, God, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it because I want to be the best for you. Here am I. Lord, I want to be your servant, a servant of God. That's what I want to be known by, as I'm a servant of the Most High God. So, Lord God, help me turn these things into the right direction and walk in the way that will bring glory and honor and thanksgiving to you. Father, I just pray your blessings now upon each and every one who has put forth the effort to be here in your house this night. I pray, God, their Thursday, their Friday, their Saturday will just go supernatural. Lord God, I just pray supernatural. Everything the devil's meant for evil will be turned for good, Lord God. What the devil meant to take, uh, his plan to take them out will not succeed. Not one weapon formed against them is going to prosper. I declare it over them now in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you would just anoint afresh and anew your people, 
your people, God, to go into this week, Lord, the remainder thereof, Lord, with your purpose and your power and your anointing upon their life. I pray that you would touch them afresh and anew as we go into this night and the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord.